0: We are, uh, we are involved in a, a sermon series. Um, there, there's a famous movie called Endless Summer. This is the Endless uh, Sermon Series. Uh, it's been going on for 11 years. Uh, so far, we've been working our way slowly through the entire book of Psalms. We started in Psalm uh, 1 uh, 11 years ago, and now we find ourselves at Psalm 63. And uh, this is uh, one of my favorite Psalms. This Psalm makes me nervous. Uh, I always feel nervous because... Uh, or I feel nervous when I have to preach on one of my favorite passages because this has spoken to me. I'd rather listen to a sermon on Psalm 63 than, than have to give one. Uh, this psalm just means so much, uh, so much to me. This psalm also concerns me because of the opening text that, that I read. This is part of the inspired word of God. This wasn't added by the translators uh, later on. It says, The Psalm of David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah... This psalm kind of haunts me because it is so beautiful and so powerful. It, I think it's one of the greatest pieces of literature ever written. And I think it's really the high watermark in the book of Psalms. I love Psalm 63. To me, it doesn't get any better than this, but when I look at the context in which it was written, this beautiful psalm grew out of the soil of suffering. And that troubles me. <laughs> that that troubles me that if God wants to produce something beautiful in me, he's probably going to lead me through a season of suffering. And that's just the, that's the mystery and the beauty of how God works is that when he wants to do something beautiful in and through his people, he often leads them through dark and difficult times. It says that David was in the wilderness of Judah when he wrote this psalm. That that would describe probably one of two moments in David's life. One would have been when King Saul had become jealous of him and was chasing David throughout the wilderness of Judah. And David was on the run as a fugitive for seven years. And so that was one time where he found himself in the wilderness of Judah. He's not on vacation. He's running for his life. And then the other time was when his own flesh and blood, his son Absalom, led a military coup, uh, in, in, uh, in a conspiracy working together with Bathsheba's grandfather, Ahithophel, to try to overthrow David, and David had to flee his palace and run into the wilderness of Judah. And it was in this difficult time of suffering, whether it's running from Saul or running from Absalom, that David wrote this beautiful psalm. So let's bow our heads together as we uh, uh, begin our study. Heavenly Father, we look to you, we love you, we worship you. We pray, uh, Lord, we want to calm and quiet our souls. We want to wait for you. We want to hear your voice. We thank you for this beautiful piece of poetry, this beautiful song of worship and praise to you. And we pray right now in Jesus' name that you would help us, that you would draw us close to you as we draw close to you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak and we pray that we would leave transformed. We pray that you'd be with your servant, Lord. I pray for humility. I pray for unction. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to not merely speak to ears or minds, but to to transform hearts, Lord, for your glory. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. David is physically in a wilderness as he's writing this psalm, but he's more concerned about his own spiritual life. He has real physical needs. He is physically thirsty. He is physically hungry. He is physically living in the wilderness. But he keeps talking about his soul. In verse 1, he says, my soul thirsts for you. In verse 5, he says, my soul will be satisfied. In verse 8, he says, my soul clings to you. So the title for today's message is just that my, my soul thirsts. My soul thirsts. And today, I'm just going to share with you these three statements that David makes about his soul. And I want you to be asking yourself, as we, as we look at what David is saying, I want you to ask yourself, can I say these things? Are... are is Psalm 63 true of me? Do I thirst for God? Will I be satisfied with God alone? And am I clinging to him? So here's, here's the, the first statement. My soul thirsts for the Lord. My soul thirsts for the Lord. He begins in verse 1 by saying, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water He says, oh God, you are my God. He's not just talking about a supreme being that's somewhere out there that might have maybe created everything. He's not talking about some sort of divine intelligence, some mystical force out there controlling the universe. No, it's his God. He says, oh God, you are my God. I am in a covenant relation. I know you. You know me. You are my God. And he says, earnestly, I seek you. The Hebrew verb for seeking sounds like the Hebrew noun for sunrise or dawn. And so, and so uh, the King James translators, uh, rather than saying earnestly I seek you, that I'm, I'm, I'm working hard at trying to find you, it says early I seek you. But loved ones, the truth is, is that as, as we are seeking after God, as David is seeking after God, remember... God sought after David first. Remember, David wasn't invited to the party where the king was going to be anointed. All the other brothers were there, but God was seeking David. And and, and he he sent the brothers to to go and to get him so that Samuel could anoint him. God God is seeking us before we can seek him. And it's really the fact that he has sought us that motivates us to seek him. I mean, Jesus tried to make this abundantly clear. Jesus said that he came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was trying to explain what kind of a what, what his father's like. And he said, listen, my, my father's like, like a woman who lost a coin and you're the coin and he's seeking you. My father's like a shepherd who lost a sheep and he's seeking after you. My father is like a like a like, like a father who has a prodigal son and he's seeking to restore him. Jesus told the the woman at the well on the topic of thirsting. He said that God is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth in John 4, 23. So Jesus makes it clear that God is seeking us but that also we are called to seek him. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So we seek the Lord. We thirst for the Lord because God is seeking after us and has sought us out. He says in verse one that my soul thirsts For you. My flesh faints. Remember, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. Hebrew poetry uses these parallel statements. My soul thirsts, my flesh faints. His physical reality right now, living in a dry wilderness, parallels, lines up with his spiritual reality that he's thirsting after God. We've all been there. Before, where you know a couple of shifts in a hockey game, and you realize you left your water bottle at home, or you're out on a hike with some friends, and you remembered your hat, you remembered your sunscreen, but you forgot water, or you're a few overs into a cricket game, and you're starting to feel parched, or you're you're out cutting the grass, or, or doing whatever. We all know what it's like where where all you can think about is water, where. You, you feel like you are parched, like you are thirsty. It doesn't have to be ice cubes. It doesn't have to come from a fancy Fiji bottle. It could come from the tap. It could be lukewarm. It doesn't really matter. You just need something to drink. This is how David feels spiritually. Just like our bodies are designed to be refreshed and refueled by water. Our soul has been designed to be refreshed and refueled by God. We can, we can recharge our batteries in all kinds of different ways. But the way to truly refresh our souls, the way to truly recharge is through the Lord. David says in verse 1 that he's in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Again, his physical surroundings mirror his spiritual situation. Is this how you feel? Do you feel like you are in a dry place this summer? Is your marriage struggling? Are your kids rebelling? Is your singleness stifling? Is your job draining? Is your health failing? Is your finances disappearing? Is temptation increasing? Is joy decreasing? Is your hope fading? Are your spiritual disciplines wearing thin and your love growing cold? This is where David was. This is where many of us are as well. And loved ones, we, we know where we need to get to. But just like in a map, you know, when, when, when you're at a shopping mall or an amusement park or something like that, you can say, oh yeah, I want to get over here to where the, to where the roller coaster is or to where the ice cream store is or, or to where I can get a bottle of water. But you need that spot on the map that says, you are here. David knew where he was. He was in a wilderness physically and in a wilderness spiritually. And sometimes we just need to be honest with God and say, God, I'm dry. God, I am thirsty. God, I know that I need you and I don't have you. You got to know where you are on the map if you're going to get to where you need to go. And we all know where we need to go. It's the same Sunday school answer that the children are giving in our Hope Kids program right now. Who loves you more than anything? Jesus. Who died on the cross for you? Jesus. Who created the world? Jesus. 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 We all know the answer, don't we? But if we don't know where we are on the map, we won't let the one who is the way, the truth, and the life actually take us to where we need to be. Remember when Jesus was talking with that woman from Samaria at the well, he said in John chapter four, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. He said in John seven, if anyone thirsts Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus in John 7 there is promising the gift of the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we don't need to go far to feel close to God because God has come seeking us. And God has given us his spirit David felt far because he's out in the wilderness. He couldn't go to the tabernacle. He couldn't experience a fellowship offering. He couldn't celebrate the feasts in Jerusalem because he's out in the wilderness. But he remembers those days. Look at verse two. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. I have looked upon you. Notice how he's talking past tense now. I I was there beholding your power and your glory. He's remembering past times of worship. I remember when he used to feel so close to you, God. I remember worshiping you in your tent. And then he says in verse three, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David here has a real sense of perspective, what matters most, and prioritization, what comes first. There's a lot that life can offer us. There are a lot of good things. There's a lot of th- evil things that, 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 that we can be tempted by, but there's also just a lot of good things in the world that we can enjoy. The evil things need to be rejected outright and repented of, but the good things need to be reevaluated. And we need to reorient our lives and get things in the proper perspective. The steadfast love of God, being in a relationship with God, is better than life. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that the sinless Son of God suffered and died as our substitute and rose to life for the forgiveness of our sins, that is better than life. Knowing that is better than anything this world could offer us. Better than success, better than wealth, better than popularity, better than sex or a a vacation or a promotion. Better than a bigger house or better than a tiny house because some people are into that. They think that's better. Better than sports, better than shopping, better than anything you bought this past week on Amazon Prime Day. Better Better than video games, better than entertainment, better than any goofy person doing goofy things on TikTok. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. David is in the wilderness. Everything has been taken away from him. Whether he's running from Saul or running from Absalom, he has left everything behind. And yet he knows that he has everything that he needs because he has the Lord. This is, this is such a powerful truth, to know that what he has is better than life. David has found the treasure in the field, like Jesus told in that parable. He found the treasure. And what does the guy who found the treasure in the field do? He sells everything that he has. Just like the Apostle Paul, whatever he had, he counts as a loss for the sake of gaining Christ Jesus. It is better than life life. And so he responds to this truth with worship. My lips will praise you. Verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will lift up my hands. Imagine that people praising God and raising their hands. That's not just some trendy pentecostal thing from the last century. It is a biblical thing from every century that people lift up their hands and worship it. We see it elsewhere in the Old Testament, Psalm 143, very similar to Psalm 63. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land, Selah. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or Quarreling. I remember when Lindsay and I were first married, uh, I was working at Hope Bible Church down in Oakville. And uh, we didn't have kids yet, uh, but I was running the kids' ministry. And so I'm this person that didn't have kids, didn't really know anything about kids, and I'm running the kids' ministry. You can imagine how that went. And uh, just like the folks who, who run kids' ministry, uh, sometimes people cancel last minute And I felt a lot more comfortable with the older kids, but there were some cancellations to work in the early childhood room. It was a disaster. I like to be really animated a little bit, loud when I teach, and so I had all these like two and three-year-old sweet little kids, and they they had this monkey puppet, so I thought, oh, I'll just do like a monkey puppet show for them. So I'd go in there, I'm like, hey, I'm the Bible Monkey Man. They all started crying. (laughs) That's how It started. And then, I don't know, you know, you're working in kids' ministry, and I'm just sort of like, Pastor Robbie, wrap things up, man, okay? Wrap it up. And I'm praying that the service will end uh, like early, and it doesn't. And I remember this one little girl, her name was Marcel. She's probably like 25 now. (laughs) But you remember Marcel Lindsay? She used to suck on her thumb, and when she sucked on her thumb, she she would touch her eyelashes with her finger. She was so adorable. She was one of the ones who was crying at the very beginning of the disastrous lesson with the monkey. She's probably traumatized by it now. She's probably afraid of monkeys in counseling. (laughs) But I remember at the very end, Marcel was just kind of just barely, she could barely walk. She was just kind of walking around the little room and she had been crying and upset. and And then towards the end of the class, she just went like this. She wanted me to pick her up. She knew that I was bigger and that I was stronger. She needed some sort of comfort or just wanted to be close. She just wanted to be picked up. And so loved ones, um, sometimes we can think that the person who's raising their hands in worship, they're doing that to kind of be showy. Or that there's sort of like different degrees of spirituality. Like these people kind of love God. These people love God sort of medium. And then these people love God like, you know, super deluxe. (laughs) That's not it at all. It's, It's like little Marcel. It's like father. You're bigger. You're stronger. Lift me up. I want to be close to you. I'm down here. I'm helpless, I'm small, I'm weak, and I want you to lift me up. So I, I just want to give you a fair warning, and I want to give you a bit of a challenge today that we would apply the word of God. Later on, at the close of the service, we're going to sing, Be Thou My Vision. And there's going to be a part in the song where, we, where it says, Oh God, be my everything, be my delight. Jesus, my glory, my soul satisfied It's really like a Psalm 63 type bridge in the song. How about this? How about all of us lift our hands at that moment? Where we just do what the Bible says. Not, to, not for the people beside us, not because we think we're super deluxe spiritual, but let's just, let's just lift our hands to the Lord and Show him that we are reaching towards him to be our delight, to be our satisfaction. God, it is only in you. That's all lifting hands means. Praising and worshiping him. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So the first thing David says is my soul thirsts for the Lord. Can you truthfully say that? The second statement David makes is that my soul will be satisfied in the Lord. My soul will be satisfied in the Lord. Verse five, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. Notice how he's jumping to the future tense. He he starts in the present tense earnestly I seek you. He flashes back to the past tense I saw you in the sanctuary. And he goes back to the present tense. I lift my hands. Now he's jumping to the future tense. I will be satisfied with rich food. The present, the past, the future, it's all covered in Psalm 63. What will ultimately satisfy our thirst? In the race of life. You know, if you watch a triathlon on TV, or you watch a uh, you watch a marathon on TV, you, you see these people running these long distances, and in the race of life, the world comes along with what looks like a water station, and they say, "Here, looks like you're struggling through life. Here, 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 drink this." And it's salt water. It's pickle juice. It's not going to do you any good. It's not going to give you any hydration. The world world offers you windshield wiper fluid. It looks like Gatorade, but it's poison. Here, take this. This will satisfy your thirst. And person after person is running through the race of life, stopping at the world's so-called hydration station and drinking poison and thinking that it's going to help them along the way. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Come to him. He doesn't just offer a cup. He offers himself. He offers the cross. And he says, come and drink. Because the water that I'm giving you is truly going to satisfy you. It's going to well up into you. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to well up into you. Eternal life. Only satisfaction can come from the Lord. We can't find satisfaction in anything that this world has to offer and I love what it says in verse 5. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. It doesn't say bland food. Fat and rich food. Our God is a God of abundance. He doesn't hold back on us. The great eschaladical eschatological, wow, it's like getting late in the afternoon here. Eschatological vision in Isaiah chapter 25 is this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, we're all invited, a feast of rich food, of well-aged wine. We won't be drinking Welches in heaven, folks. Of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Our God is a God of abundance. Isaiah 55 similarly says, it says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself. There it is again, in rich food. Our God is a God of rich food. Our God is a God who says, yeah, we'll we'll put bacon on a hamburger. There's plenty of meat there already, but why not have a little bit more? Let's put some bacon on there. New covenant, of course. Put some bacon on there. (laughs) Satan has this disinformation campaign going where he's trying to spread this lie about God that he's stingy, that he's holding back on us, and that, he's, and that he, he doesn't want everyone to be having fun, and he says, Everyone turn the music down and everyone stop having such a good time. That is not our God. They accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard because Jesus was just going from place to place, from party to party, from feast to feast. He wasn't getting drunk, but he was drinking. He wasn't a glutton, but he ate and he enjoyed the food. And so, loved ones, this is when when Jesus, again, when he wanted to describe his father, he said, let me tell you what my dad's like in the parable of the wedding banquet. He said in Matthew 22, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. God lays out a massive buffet and says, invite everyone to get in here. We're going to have a feast. In the parable of the lost son, the father says, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. God is a God of abundance. It's ice cream Sunday, Sunday today, okay? Okay. We serve a God of abundance. God is not out there being like, everyone gets one tablespoon of vanilla and nothing more. Okay, enjoy it. That's not God. There's sprinkles out there. There's chocolate sauce. Our God is a God of abundance. I remember Lince and I almost got fired from being a volunteer at a summer camp once because I was teaching uh, the the children, trying to share them the gospel, but we were also working in the snack bar. And uh, I was scooping the ice cream and I was like, I can't teach about the grace of God and the abundance of God and just give this piddly little scoop of ice cream. So I was like piling like all of, I think I put the camp out of business because I was, I was trying to show the genera- the abundance of God. This is the God that we serve. You see, Satan tries to, again, this disinformation that all of the fun is with him. And that all of the fun is apart from the Father. That if we turn away from the Father, then we'll be fulfilled. Then we'll be satisfied. That's not true. God is the one with the rich food. Satan is Diet Coke and Saltine Crackers. <laughs> Satan is the one who comes to steal and to kill and destroy, John 10. Jesus is the one so that we would have life and have it abundantly, that we would be satisfied. I love this quotation from C.S. Lewis uh, talking about our desire to be satisfied. He, uh, he says this coming up on the screen. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition while infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Loved ones, our God is a God of abundance and only he, only he, can truly satisfy us. If you're looking for something to read uh, this summer, I commend to you this book by John Piper. Uh, This book has had a lasting impact on my life. It was written in 1986. Toto wasn't the only great thing to come out of the 80s. John Piper, Desiring God, Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. You might be thinking, well, I've heard about hedonism before. How can a Christian be a hedonist? This sounds really messed up. Well, just read the book and find out what he, what he means, the idea of being truly satisfied, and our deepest desires. There's all these surface desires, but our deepest desires can only be satisfied with the rich food found in the gospel. He says in verse seven, oh sorry, verse uh, verse uh, six, "When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night." So he moves from the, the banquet hall now to the bedroom. And, and, and even his thoughts at night are occupied with the greatness of God. Verse 7, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. This, again, this image, again, this is poetry. This is a mother hen gathering her chicks. God is not a mother. God is not a hen. God does not have wings. We are not little birds. It's an image of security and safety and closeness of relationship. And the little birds are singing in the shelter under the shadow of the hen's wings, singing for joy. So, is this true of you? Can you say, My soul thirsts for the Lord? Can you say, My soul will be satisfied in the Lord? And then lastly, can you say, my soul clings to the Lord? Verse 8, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So some of us, uh, our parents, others of us are uh, aunts or uncles or have friends with little ones. We all know what it's like when a little toddler hears a scary noise or is around someone who is a, a stranger, what do you see if they're on the ground? Hands go up, pick me up, right? And then as, as they're encountering whatever is making the noise or the strange person or whatever is happening, you see that little one cling cling on some of us see this at hope kids at drop-off time right it's like okay it's time for you to go to this strange room with all these strange na- all these strange friends and the child is just like holding on with all of their might anything they can latch on to clinging this is the language of genesis chapter 2 where adam and eve were to cling to one another to hold fast It's it's the same word used to to glue two things together. Uh, In Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, the people of Israel were told to cling to the Lord. So we thirst for God. We are satisfied with Him. And in times of difficulty and struggle, we cling to Him. Let's remember the context. David is in the wilderness. He's not on a holiday He's not there by choice. He's running for his life. Verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Those who seek to destroy my life, that that's, could also be translated soul, it's the same word. My, my soul thirsts, my soul will be satisfied, my soul clings, they seek to destroy my soul. This is why David is clinging to God, because there are people who are trying to destroy him. Saul is chasing him through the wilderness, Doeg the Edomite is, is telling lies and and. and following David around, or Absalom and Ahithophel and his soldiers are hunting David down. So in times of difficulty, loved ones, we, we need to cling to the Lord. Verse 11 says, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall Exult. David's enemies were going to be, it says, they're going to die by the sword. And that was true. That was true about Saul. It was true about Absalom. That was their fate. But David knew, either as anointed king who was going to take over for Saul, or the rightful king who was going to return to his throne after the pretender Absalom tried to take it away from him. It says, the king shall rejoice in God, and all who swear by him shall exalt. David is clinging. There's a real difficult time. People are trying to attack him. But David knows in the end he is the one who will be rejoicing. He is the one who will exalt. Now this is not exalt with an A. It's exalt with a U. So exalt means that's what we do for the Lord. We lift him up in worship. That's exalt. But exalt means to rejoice. It means to Boast in a good way. The the Hebrew there is halal, the the beginning part of hallelujah. We will be singing hallelujah. We will be boasting. We will celebrate the victory, not by going and fighting ourselves, but by clinging to the Lord who's going to hold us, uphold us with his right arm, it says, and he's going to win the battle with his left, probably with his left hand tied behind his back. He is going to win. It says that at the end of verse 11, all who swear by him shall exult. They will rejoice. They will halal. They will praise. They will boast. But the mouths of liars will be stopped. The mouths of those who praise God and are satisfied in God and thirst for God, those mouths, they're going to sing on into eternity. But the mouths that speak lies, they're going to be stopped. The lies that Saul's advisors were saying about David to try to tear him down, those mouths are going to be silenced. The the lies that that Absalom and Ahithophel were sharing to, to, to bring about this military coup, those mouths are going to be stopped. And loved ones, we are living in a culture that is just so filled with lies. Lies about how the world began classroom after classroom, book after book. is just flat out lies. It's, it's, it's telling a story that's missing the most important character, God. It's a lie to leave him out. Those lies will be stopped. Lies about the meaning of life and where true satisfaction will go. Lies to telling the marathoners, drink this. This will satisfy you. This will help you. Lies about identity and race and gender and sexuality. It's happening all over our culture. Again, those mouths will be stopped. Lies about where true satisfaction will come from. Lies about the true nature of justice. Again, all of those mouths will be stopped. And when we're confronted with these lies, we need to cling to the one who is the truth. To to cling to him who is holding us and upholding us by his right hand. Loved ones, we need to cling to the truth. There's there's 14 verbs that that David uses to describe how he relates to the Lord. Let me me show you here. Uh, No, the verbs. Back one, Thanks. David is seeking the Lord, thirsting for the Lord, fainting for the Lord, looking upon the Lord, beholding the Lord, praising the Lord, blessing the Lord, lifting hands to the Lord, remembering the Lord, meditating on the Lord, singing to the Lord, clinging to the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord, and ultimately exalting in the Lord. Exalting like someone who has won the victory. And how do we win? We win by simply clinging on to the Lord depending on him. Loved ones, the mouths that speak lies will be stopped. But the mouth that rejoices in the Lord will sing forever. Cling to the one who is the truth. Speak the truth in the midst of lies. Hold on to him as he holds on to us. But maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I think I, can, I think I can say that thirsting after the Lord is true of me, but I don't know if I've been seeking after him for satisfaction and I, I sure don't feel like I'm clinging to the Lord. I feel like I've let go of him. The question I want us to ask ourselves is, could you write down these three statements and then sign your name at the bottom? These three things are true of me. My soul thirsts for the Lord. My soul will be satisfied in the Lord and my soul clings to the Lord. Maybe you've been trying to fill up on something else or maybe you're just not seeking the Lord at all. Maybe you've, you've walked down a path thinking that, you know, pursuing this endeavor will lead to ultimate satisfaction and it's come up empty time and time again. Maybe you've wandered away from the Lord and you need to to return to him and you need to cling to him. You need to hold on to his truth. Maybe you've believed some of the lies in our culture today. If if Psalm 63, you know that some of it is there for you but it's not completely there for you, let me me share with you a a prayer from uh, from A.W. Tozer that just really beautifully sums up where our hearts need to be. His prayer says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh God, the triune God, I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made thirsty still. Let's pray to that end right now. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for those who are here right now who don't have a relationship with you, who can't say that your steadfast love is better than life. I pray... That as was shared this morning, that they would turn to you, the fountain of living water. That they would see Jesus as the sinless Savior who, who suffered and died as our substitute. And came seeking after us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. God, I pray that people today, even today, right now, in this moment, would make that decision to follow you. That they would taste your goodness in this moment. And I pray for those of us who have tasted your goodness before. We have beheld your power and your glory in the sanctuary before. But our heart right now is not a sanctuary. It's not a temple of the living God. It's a wilderness. God, I I pray that you would draw us near to you. Lord, we confess, we acknowledge that we long to long for you. We thirst to be made more thirsty. We desire to have a deeper desire to know you and to love you. God, help us not to waste this moment. Help us not to waste this summer. But may we press on to know you and to love you. God, we thank you that you are good and that your steadfast love is better than life. Lord, meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.